You're listening to a Sunday service podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, a place where we practice a deep and authentic welcome, where we listen deeply to where love is calling us next, and a place where with humility, courage, and compassion, we act for justice in the world. To learn more, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Good morning. Good morning. Service is beginning. With some music. It's so good to see your legs and feet, everyone. <laughs> Welcome back to In-Person Church. Uh, we're starting, yes. <laughs> we're starting with um, Breathe In or the meditation song. So please stand and sing with us. You'll be able to hear other people singing too. Now I was made aware that the way that I know this song is not the whole version. So if you know the other parts, please sing them. When I breathe in. When I breathe in. with no rehearsal. <laughs> Working on our improvisation skills. So you can have a seat if you feel comfortable doing so. Welcome everybody. It is so good to be together. My name is Jen Crow. I'm one of your ministers at First Universalist Church of Minneapolis and we are so glad that each and every one of you is here today. If you're here with us in person this morning, Welcome to you. If you're joining us later from home or from your car or from the park watching or listening to our recording, we're so glad that you are taking time to be with us as well. We hope that everyone finds a bit of hope and restoration and joy in our time together. One of the gifts of online worship has been what I have felt as a greater intimacy in sharing more and more of our joys and sorrows with each other. So this morning, if you're here with us in person, uh, we invite you, if you want to share a joy or sorrow that'll be shared out loud in the service, there's a table in the back with boxes on it. Uh, one of our ushers is back there right now. If you have a joy or a sorrow, something that's weighing on you or that you're celebrating that you wanna write down and have included in the spoken prayer today, just head back to the table and write it down and we'll make sure it comes up uh, before our shared time of prayer. If you're joining us via the recording this week, we hope if you are having any challenges and would like some support that you'll reach out to Reverend Karen or Reverend Arif throughout the week so that we can hold our challenges together in community. This morning, as we begin, 
we acknowledge that we come to you from Minneapolis, Minnesota, from First Universalist Church, from the shores of Lake Harriet and the contemporary and traditional homelands of the Anishinaabe and Dakota peoples, the original stewards of this land. We come to you committed to uplifting the names of these lands and the community members from these nations who reside alongside us. We acknowledge the trauma that is deeply embedded in the foundation of this country, the genocide, enslavement, and ongoing occupation and oppression that has impacted indigenous communities, communities of color, and immigrant and other communities, the culture of colonization and white supremacy culture that immatures us all. We also acknowledge the communities of resistance that continue to side with love, teaching us through their persistence and courage and creativity that another way is possible. In our time together, we make room for all of our stories, for the complexity of it all, for each of us as individuals, for our nation, to hold it all, joy, pain, celebration, together. We notice where and how these stories live in our bodies and in the layers of our history, in the land, the air, the water, and we make room for it all together. So here in this moment, in whatever place where you are, we invite you to bring your full self here. And we invite you into the practice we have been sharing now for quite some time, the practice of three deep breaths, or three intentional breaths. This is an opportunity to settle yourself, to pay attention to your body. For me, I'm noticing my feet on the ground. I'm feeling the wind on my face. And I invite you to connect with me, with all of us, through space and time as we share three intentional breaths together. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and breathing out. One last time at whatever pace is right. Breathing in and breathing out. It is so good to be together. And now we'll light our chalice, a symbol of our free faith, a symbol of the light in each human heart. And as we light our flame, I invite you to repeat the chalice lighting words back to me, because I know that not everybody has an order of service or knows these by heart. So I'll say a phrase, I invite you to say it back. We'll make our way through together. Love is the spirit of this church. And service is its law. This is our great covenant. To dwell together in peace. To seek the truth in love. And to help one another. Friends, my name is Reverend Arif Mamdani, and I have a story that I'd like to share with you this morning. This is a story that I'm speaking in particular to the youngest amongst us. And it is a, it's a story about stories. And to start the story, I want to invite you to think about, to bring into your mind and your heart and your body the places where you hear stories. So take a minute to think about it. Maybe it's a special chair where you live. 
Maybe it's your bed as you're getting ready to go to sleep at night. Maybe you and another person that you love and care about read to each other back and forth. When we hear stories, it's a sacred moment. Stories are sacred things. They're sacred things because they tell us who we have been in the past. They tell us who we are and what's important to us right now. And they help us imagine who we might be in the future. Now, when I was younger, when I was a little kid, my, my parents would read me stories. And there was a story that they loved to read me. It was a Dr. Seuss story, I think, called Marvin K. Mooney. And when I read it now, I realize that it wasn't a very nice story. But they really liked to tell it to me. But there was another story that they, well, I think it was actually a story. It was one of those stories. I don't know if you all have had this experience. But if it's, it's a story that you have heard so many times that you can almost say it from memory. I see a bunch of people nodding. I missed the experience of seeing people nodding. I didn't see that on Zoom. Thank you. So the story that I was told was a story about a fire truck. It was fire engine number nine in a great big fire. And my parents would tell it to me over and over and over again. And the reason that I'm telling you about this is that the stories that were told, they change. The stories that were told when we're really little are not the same stories that we're told as we get older. They're not the same stories that we tell each other as we get older. But one thing is true is that the places where we are told stories, the places where we share stories, are sacred places. The land holds stories. This is something that Pastor Jim Bear Jacobs shared with me a couple of years ago when I was part of a sacred sites tour. I think some of you know about this project of going around the Twin Cities to sites that are sacred to native and indigenous people and sharing the stories that were here before any of the colonizers showed up. And so it was on one of these tours, one of these sacred sites tours. We were at a place that many of us know as Fort Snelling, and Pastor Jim Bear Jacobs shared another story about that place. And the story that he shared is that that land for the Lakota people is called Bedote. It is the place where the world was created. It was the place where people were first created, the first human beings. And it is a sacred, sacred place. And he said, the land holds stories. And then he said, what's also true about this sacred place is that colonizers came, colonizers who worked for the US government came, and they built a fort in this place. And in this fort, some terrible things happened to native and indigenous people. And he said, but. Because the land holds stories, the end of the story is never fully written. He said, what is also true is that in this same place not long ago, I gathered with my family 
and other Native and Indigenous families, and we had a day of celebration. We had a day of telling our stories. He said, I remember seeing my kids playing soccer in this same land. The land holds stories, layer upon layer upon layer. And he said, that's why it's so important to tell all of our stories. If we're going to create a world for all of us, a world where no one is left out, we need to bring all of our stories forward. We need to tell all of our stories so that when we come together to imagine the world we're going to create together, all of our stories are included. up there beyond the sky it's been a long a long time coming but I know a change gonna come So, so grateful to have y'all with us and leading us in song and music. So this morning, our reading comes from the poet Langston Hughes. 
And I want to tell you a little bit about him for folks who may not be so familiar. Langston Hughes was a central figure in the Harlem Renaissance, which was a blossoming of black intellectual, literary, and artistic life that took place in the 1920s in cities all over the country, and particularly in Harlem. Langston Hughes was known most widely for his poetry, but he also wrote short stories and essays and children's books, and he is known to be the first black person in the United States to have made a living entirely from his writing and speaking. Hughes was often the target of criticism from both white and black people, critiqued for focusing on the joys and hardships of life for everyday black people. But he had a way of shaking off the critique and owning who he was and what he was about. In his essay titled The Negro Artist and the Racial Mountain, he wrote this. We younger Negro artists who create now intend to express our individual dark-skinned selves without fear or shame. If white people are pleased, we're glad. If they're not, it doesn't matter. We know we are beautiful and ugly too. Langston Hughes knew that he and we could hold it all, all of the stories, all of the beauty and ugliness that comes with being human. He held it all with humor and grace and grit and so much skill, reminding us to own the fullness of who we are and what we can be. Um, hi, my name is Johanna. My name is Aliana. And my name is Satya. Um, we're gonna read the poem, Let America Be America Again. Let America be America again. Let it be the dream it used to be. Let it be the pioneer to the plain, seeking a home where he find himself free. America never was America to me. Let America be the dream the dreamers dreamed. Let it be that great, strong land of love where never kings connive nor tyrants scheme that any man be crushed by one above. It never was America to me. Oh, let my land be a land where liberty is crowned with no false patriotic wealth. But opportunity is real and life is free. Equality is in the air we breathe. There never has been equality for me, nor freedom in this homeland of the free. Say, who are you that mumbles in the dark? And who are you that draws your veil across the stars? I am the poor white, fooled and pushed apart. I am the Negro bearing slavery scars. I am the red man driven from the land. I am the immigrant clutching the hope I seek and finding only the same old stupid plan of dog eat dog, of mighty crush the weak. I am the young man full of strength and hope, tangled in that ancient endless chain of profit, power, gain, of grab the land, of grab the gold, of grab the ways of satisfying need, of work the men, of take the pay, of owning everything for one's own greed. I am the farmer, bondsman to the soil. I am the worker, sold to the machine. I am the Negro, servant to you all. I am the people, humble, hungry, mean. Hungry yet today, despite the dream. Beaten yet today, 
O pioneers. I am the man who never got ahead, the poorest worker bartered through the years, yet I'm the one who dreamt our basic dream. In the old world, while still a serf of kings, who dreamt a dream so strong, so brave, so true, that even yet, its mighty daring sings in every brick and stone, in every furrow turned. That's made America the land it's become. Oh, I'm the man who sailed those early seas in search of what I meant to be my home. For I'm the one who left dark Ireland's shore and Poland's plain and England's grassy lea. And torn from black Africa's strand, I came to build a homeland of the free. The free? Who said the free? Not me. Surely not me, the millions on relief today. The millions shot down when we strike? The millions who have nothing to pay? For all the dreams we've dreamed and all the songs we've sung, and all the hopes we've held, and all the flags we've hung. The millions who have nothing for our pay, except the dream that's almost dead today. Oh, let America be America again, the land that, ha that never has been yet, and yet must be, the land where every man is free, the land that's mine, the poor man's, Indians, Negroes, me, who made America? Whose sweat in blood? Whose faith in pain? Whose hand at the foundry? Whose plow in the rain? Must bring back our mighty dream again. Sure, call me any ugly name you choose. The steel of freedom does not stain. From those who live like leeches on the people's lives, we must take back our land again, America. Oh yes, I say it plain. America never was America to me. And yet, I swear this oath, America will be. Out of the rack and ruin of our gangster death, the rape and rot of graft and stealth and lies, we the people must redeem. The land, the mines, the plants, the rivers, the mountains and the endless plain. All, all the stretch of these great green states and make America again. So you, uh, you may have heard this version of the national anthem sung by the Sistet. They uh, are out of town, <laughs> so you get to hear me sing it. It's a fusion of the Negro national anthem, lift every voice and sing with the Star Spangled Banner. Lift every voice and sing Till earth and heaven ring Ring with the harmonies Of liberty Let our rejoicing rise God. 
Let us continue the prayer that Amy and Franco began. Join me in this collective time of prayer as we invoke love and name our struggles and joys as we do every time we gather. Let us name our truths and have them held in community. Today, especially, I call on the ancestors. I call on those that came before us and that overcame great challenges and made great sacrifices so that we could be here today. I call on the great cloud of witnesses that is formed by our familial and spiritual forebears and by those who led lives of justice and change and paved the way for us to continue the work. Today, on this day when we mark and name the layers of stories that created this nation, we name you and acknowledge your stories too, beloved grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents. Abuela querida, we name you as part of making our lives possible. We name the lineage of the First Nations people that lived and thrived here before the colonization. We acknowledge that there is still so much to be done to make things right and to honor the treaties and the land. We pull on the thread of the lives that were brought here by force and whose families were torn apart. We lament that origin and we honor the strength and courage that helped our ancestors persevere and fight for freedom and keep fighting today. We name and acknowledge the many immigrants who have come here to create a better life for themselves and their families. We recognize and remember that there are still children in cages and asylum seekers waiting for a yes, even today, and that we have so, more, so much work to do to redeem the possibility of this country as a true haven and land of the free. Spirit of life and love, we are grateful for this time together. Whether we are connected here in this moment and space at Lake Harriet, or we are connecting later through the magic of the internet. We are grateful for this space to connect deeply to the many different stories woven into our stories. Be with us, ancestors. Be with us, spirit, as we share our struggles and our challenges, our joys and our small daily miracles. Our prayers today are also part of the great tapestry of stories. Receive our prayers that we may remember that we are never alone in the difficult and the joyful. And I invite you now to gaze upon this beautiful lake, to feel the wind in your hair, and to offer it your challenges and sorrows. 
If you feel comfortable, speak your sadness or mumble it or make a gesture that offers the difficult to the water that can hold it for you and with you. Let others around you know what is real for you, even if we speak over each other in a momentary collective lament of what is hard. And if you are watching this video later in your home or your car or a park or wherever you're joining us, I invite you too to speak out loud and name that which is hard. As you speak it, I invite you to let it go a little bit. Hold it a little bit looser. Know that this community of faith holds it with you. Let us pray. And let us also turn to joy. Let us remember and recognize the things that help us keep going. I will share my joy that I'm here with my family. I moved and the truck came and it's all done. Yay, <laughs> so glad. And Kate shares a joy about her upcoming trip. Thank you, Kate. Whether you are here with us live or watching the recording later, I invite you to speak your joys out loud, that others may hear you and rejoice, that they become even more true and good because you hear yourself name it, because every time we say something, we make it more so. So, speak a happy thing. Thank you. Thank you, friends, for joining in this prayer, for the things shared and for the things held quietly in our hearts. Holding it all, together we pray. May the grip of addiction be loosened. May the weight of oppression be lightened. May grief be shared. May joy break through. And may love make every suffering bearable for us all. Amen. So with every part of our service today, we have experienced the layering of stories. 
We've acknowledged the generations of people who stewarded this land and the multiplicity of experiences that live within it. We've heard about the importance of the special places where stories are told and the way that those stories and the experience of being told stories can ground us in love and community, can help us to hold the pain of hard truths and also to celebrate with laughter and joy and resilience. We've heard poetry from Langston Hughes, the man who was in so many ways the poet of the people for black America in the 1900s, the man who told stories of real life with truth and humor, devastation and joy, and a real life-based faith in the basic goodness of most human beings, he would say, offering poetry and stories that could hold it all. We've listened to music that mashes up the star-spangled banner with the black national anthem. We have steeped ourselves in the complexity of what it means to be a part of this country today. We have prayed. We have lifted up our lament, our struggle, our gratitude, and our hope, acknowledging the always complex and varied stories of all of us, of immigrants, We've acknowledged the resistance of our environmental justice siblings of our own personal sorrows and joys. The story of our country is complicated and complex. It is layered. It is this and this and this too. It is the imprisonment of the Lakota at Fort Snelling, the hanging of the Dakota in Mankato, the lynching of black men in, black men in Duluth. It is the historical enslavement of Africans and the historical and ongoing killing of black bodies by the state. It is also the arrival of immigrants seeking refuge, encountering oppression, building community, offering new and complex opportunities for their children and grandchildren. It is mind-bogglingly beautiful poetry and music and prayer. It is ideals that are worthy of our lives' work. It is a free pulpit here in a public park on a Sunday morning where a congregation of independent thinkers who unite in their belief in the possibility of a more inclusive future, where all of us here, fueled by faith in a love that draws the circle wide and will not let us go, where we gather for restoration and hope. It is a country where some of us still remember being arrested for violating laws about wearing clothing that was prescribed for the opposite gender or for loving someone whose skin color didn't match our own. It is a place where change is possible amidst the pain. It is a country with a pattern and practice of extracting resources from the land and the water and the people at a pace that endangers us all. And it is also a land that given the opportunity holds the capacity to heal itself, to wash us literally in beauty and a feeling of wholeness and connection that heals us too. All of these things are true and so many more. The story of this country, the stories of our lives are about this and this and this too. It is about an ever unfolding story and telling the truth owning the layer upon layer of the stories. It is part of the heart of humility, which is the heart 
of the spiritual life. So humility is a piece of what I want to talk about today because humility, in my experience, is one way to live with a realistic hope that can actually bind us together as we engage in this redemptive process of liberation and transformation and joy that we are about as Unitarian Universalists. So this process I'm talking about, the process of moving through transformation, of moving from despair to joy to despair to joy and back again, the process of liberation from long-taught ideas and generations of trauma and oppression. It's the opening of our hearts to the fullness of who we can be as people, as a congregation, as a nation. It is full of freedom and clarity and possibility. And it asks some sometimes hard things from us. It asks us to look honestly at who we are with all of our history, all of our gifts, and all of our challenges. I have a good friend who once told me that humility has nothing to do with humiliation. It has nothing to do, actually, with thinking less of ourselves. That humility is all about accurately observing and assessing ourselves knowing our gifts and our weaknesses, knowing the places where we are strong and the places we need to grow, and being able to own them and to commit to growth where we need to and to celebrate and bring our strengths forward where we can. Humility is based in a repetition of questions, of knowing ourselves more deeply. What lights us up? What makes us shine? What sets us off? What makes us scared or too small or too big or angry? And how do we behave when we have those feelings? What helps us move back into connection, move back into joy? These are a few of the questions we can ask ourselves and each other about our own lives, about our communities, about our nation, so that we might accurately observe and assess ourselves and move toward the people, the communities, the nation we want to be. The black theologian James Cone used to say that we come to church on Sundays to find out where we are in relation to the actualization of our dream, to be able to take a moment every week and assess where we are in relation to the actualization of our dream. I believe this is a process we need to engage in on a regular basis, daily, weekly, yearly. Where are we as individuals, as a community, as a nation, in relation to the actualization of our dream? This is the spiritual practice, I think, at the basis of humility that I invite us into. Now, I'm going to tell you two more stories. One, maybe you heard, listening along with me at different points to NPR this week, the stories of Pequot Lakes, Minnesota, and the outrage that has erupted there at recent school board meetings about the effort to make the schools there more equitable and inclusive, more welcoming for children and families of color, for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender kids and families. If you listen to this story on Minnesota Public Radio, you'll hear some of the people speaking at the school board meeting. And I was uh, struck, I guess you could say, by what was coming out of some of the mouths of the people and the way that they were able to hold this and this at the very same time, which seem opposite. So I heard folks speaking 
there at the school board meeting acknowledging that the schools are not what they should be, that they are not the welcoming place they need to be for kids and families of color, for kids and families with lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender family members, that they aren't what they need to be, that the kids are being harmed. And then in the very next breath, the same people saying, but we will not tolerate the telling of the true stories of the history of our land. We will not tolerate the telling of the true stories of what has happened here, whether it be about enslavement, whether it be about the horrors that were visited upon indigenous folks. We acknowledge things need to be better, but we cannot bear to have these stories told because it makes us feel ashamed of the nation and of who we are. Now, of, notably, this is coming out of the mouths of white folks, of folks with more privilege. It is hard to tell the whole story sometimes, hard to hold the whole story. But I was amazed at this. It's been helpful for me to know, yes, we can acknowledge things need to be different and in the same breath be terrified of what it takes to get there, to the difference we are trying to get to collectively. This is where telling the whole story is so important. Moving with humility, an accurate, honest assessment of who we are, who we have been, and who we are trying to be, and what it's going to take to get there. Being able to hold it all means holding it all collectively, which communities of color, communities of resistance, lesbian, gay, and bisexual, and transgender folks have been doing for generations. To hold it all collectively means that we know it takes all of us to lift all of us up. It takes all of us for all of us to survive. And with all of us, we can hold the complex stories. It's time to let go of that myth of individualism that is so often at the root of the stories in this country, the loudest stories at least. That sense of I am at the center, it is all up to me when really it is up to us collectively to name and hold all of the stories and to hold joy right there with the pain. To tell the layered story of our lives and our country, this complex and complicated story, this ever-evolving story, it requires us to let go of that sense of innocence or individualism that the folks in those school board meetings and those of us with privilege so often carry. To replace the stories with more nuanced grounding in humility and an ability to hold it all and own that the story is not yet finished. The end isn't written and we have a part to play. So I'm gonna take us back to the practice of humility because I am such a believer that how we are, as Adrienne Marie Brown would say, has we, how we are on the small scale in our own personal individual lives is then how we are in our families, in our communities, in our nation. So this personal practice I'm gonna share with you about humility. Well, it came to me from the same friend who taught me what humility actually means, this accurate, honest assessment of who I am. And she invited me into a daily practice a practice of taking inventory every day. And I'll admit, I wasn't really excited about this idea. I wasn't sure I wanted to spend time every day reviewing how I'd done and owning where I had fallen short of my ideals. But luckily this friend knew that about me 
and knew that another place I needed to be pushed was not just going through the day, at the end of the day, laying there, thinking through all the ways I had messed up. She knew I also needed to review the day and celebrate my successes, where had I moved more closely to the ideals I was hoping to live into. And so she and I talked, and I developed this practice. I'd put a notebook by my bedside table, and at the end of the night, before I would fall asleep, I would write three pluses and three minuses. And of course, it's more complicated than positive and negative, but I was keeping it simple for myself. And at the end of each day, I would write down where were the places that I felt good about what I'd done or who I was or the patterns I had broken that I had been trying so hard to break for years. I would write down the successes there. And then I would review my day and I would look for, pay attention to, observe the places in my day where I had acted in ways I don't want to anymore, where I wasn't acting in alignment with my ideals, maybe places where I even owed an apology, and even more than that, an amend, where I needed to go to the other person and say, this is what I did. I am sorry for the impact that it has had on you. How can I make it right? And then do what they asked for. So this became a daily practice for me. Right? This idea of three pluses, three minuses. I don't write it down most of the time anymore, but it is something I do at the end of the day. Or if I've forgotten or gotten too tired, I'll do it in the morning when I wake up as part of my morning writing. And I am curious for you, what would that look like? What would a daily practice that would help you cultivate an accurate assessment of yourself where you're falling short of your ideals and where you are crushing it and doing great and making progress in ways you never thought you could. What would that daily practice look like for you? Could you do it together with someone else? Could you do it at the dinner table? Could it be a text stream back and forth? What could that be like for you? Because for me, I've noticed that thanks to this practice, I have become more gentle with myself, more hopeful about the possibilities and the ways I can change, and also more honest with myself about the places where I regularly fall short and need to bring more attention. It has changed me and softened me, helped me to hold more of the story for myself and for others, too. So humility, honesty, complexity, the layering of the stories. That is what we are about. And we are about owning them so that we can write the end of this story, or at least the next chapter before we pass it on to the next generation. So here we are, and I will say with us again those closing words of Langston Hughes, helping us to grow in holding all of what our country has been and what it can be. He wrote, from those who live like leeches on the people's lives, we must take back our land again. America. Oh yes, I say it plain, America never was America to me, and yet I swear this oath, America will be. Out of the rack and ruin of our gangster death, the rape and rot of graft and stealth and lies. We the people, us, we the people must redeem the land, the mines, the plants, the rivers, the mountains, and the endless plain. 
all, all the stretch of these great green states and make America again. May this be our charge. May it be so. Amen. You better think. Think about what you're trying to do to me. Yeah, think. Let your mind go. Let yourself be free. Let's go back. Let's go back. Let's go way on the way back when. I didn't even know you. You couldn't have been too much more than 10. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text First Univ, that's F-I-R-S-T-U-N-I-V, to 73256 to make your gift. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Freedom, oh freedom, right now freedom.